I'm gonna, it's great to be here again. Um, you might not think so, but it is actually a, a genuine privilege and a thrill to be asked to speak. Um, I know for some people that might seem like a nightmare. And, and I admit to you that I get uh, real shivers of fear work through me every time. But there's also um, just a, a sense of having to, wanting, desiring to teach from God's word and to open up God's word with God's people. So I am I'm feeling very privileged to be here, and I'm also feeling a little bit scared, like always. So let's just open with a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for a, another beautiful morning. And Father, we want to pause together as part of your body, brothers and sisters, to take the time to thank you and worship you and praise you and bless you for the lives you've given us. We thank you for this beautiful place in which we live. We thank you for our food, our clothing, our, our, our homes. Father, we are so very, very, very blessed. But way above and beyond that, Lord, is the incredible calling that you've placed in each one of our lives. And, and so, Lord, as we look into your word this morning, we ask, Father, that we would receive it as it is, your word. Father, that you would grant us the faith and, and to believe and the eyes to see and the ears to hear this morning. So, Lord, we just thank you again for this time together, and we ask that everything would be said and done in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, turn to me, if you will, to the book of Hebrews, chapter 2. <clears throat> and one of the interesting things about being called in sort of in, in a midweek uh, is that uh, I... I, you don't get a long term to sort of prepare where, you, where you're going to speak from. But what's great about that is that, you, you know, I, I'm able to speak on something that the Lord was, I, I hope, believe, was teaching into my life uh, just in my own quiet time. And so what another great reason to maintain a quiet time, to be, to be reading God's word every day, to be praying to him and asking that he would speak to us every day through his word. Because you might get asked to preach next week. And, and if you're not reading God's word, what are you going to talk about? So in, in, in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 2, uh, I'll just minor, minor introduction here as we get going. Um, scholars today, we don't know who wrote Hebrews. But it was called Hebrews by the early church fathers, and we continue to call it that, because it, it clearly is, is uh, a, a letter written to uh, Hebrew Christians, Jewish Christians living in the first century. And so in some ways, this book, this letter is really directed towards them. But I hope we'll see this morning that it really applies to us as well, living on the Sunshine Coast almost 2,000 years later. We're we are a vast distance away in time and space, and yet it's remarkable how God can speak to us today through this same word. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. As we read the book of Hebrews, uh, time again, the author begins uh, a, a section by saying, therefore, and it's been said so often that it's kind of a cliche, it's like, well, what's the therefore, therefore? 
Why, is, why has he written therefore? In chapter 1, um, the author has been reintroducing the readers, as it were, to Jesus Christ, trying to show the uniqueness of Jesus Christ and, and just saying that Jesus Christ is very uh, different above and beyond the angels. He is incredibly unique. He's been revealed to us as God's son. And in chapter 1, he brings all sorts of Old Testament scriptures to bear to demonstrate that this Jesus of Nazareth, the man Jesus of Nazareth, was a very unique being, very unique person, uh, incredibly unique. And now we're going to explore uh, why that's important. You know, in one sense, you could say, well, so what? There was this man that lived back then, and okay, he was incredibly unique, he was amazing, he was special, but, but so what? So let's get into the so what. And the author begins by saying, in light of this person, Jesus, being so unique and so special, um, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. Because they, like us here, they heard this gospel message. They heard the message about Jesus, that he came to this earth, lived, died, rose again from the, from the dead and ascended into heaven. They'd heard that message. And because of the uniqueness of the message, because of that, and because of the uniqueness of the person of Christ, he's saying here, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard. And then the warning, lest we drift away from it. Verse 2, for since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. And I'm going to pause. Wow, what a lot of words. What a lot of thought processes being crammed into one sentence. We're going to find in Hebrews and in this chapter that there's various levels going on. And what we're going to try and do this morning, by the grace of God, is examine some of those levels and see that it really is very, very important. Um, the, the, the levels were given to us for a reason. As God's children, we can just, sometimes we get kind of satisfied with just the, the candy and the cookies and the cake of God's word, but there's much more to it than just that. And here's one of these instances where we're going to be looking at a few layers this morning, and, and it's going to be worthwhile. So I'm going to ask you try to try to listen, try to stay with me as we examine some of these layers. So verse 2, again, for since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable. What's he talking about, the message declared by angels? Well, throughout the, the Old Testament, as you read through God approaching the people of Israel, it, over and over again it says, the angel of the Lord spoke, and the angel of the Lord said this, and the angel of the Lord did that. And he's trying to make a distinction here between those believers in the Old Testament, God's people, remember, who were rescued out of Egypt, um, all those incredible miracles that God did to, to rescue his people and set apart a people for himself, bring them to the promised land, all those events. Well, over and over and over again, as you read back then, it says, through the angel, through the angel. The message came through the angel. And so he's referring to that. And these Hebrew believers would know instantly what he's talking about. They would know, okay, yeah, all the times that God spoke to our forefathers, sure, it was declared by angels. Now, since that message proved to be reliable, now what does that mean? Well, the angel said, if you, if you, God speaking through the angel said, you do these things, and if you do them, I'm going to uh, 
bring all these wonders about in, in the land of Egypt. Uh, I'm going to bring these plagues. Uh, I'm going to rescue by the parting of the Red Sea. I'm going to feed you in the desert. I'm going to perform miracles and drive the people out before you when you enter the land, as long as you obey what I'm commanding you. So you see, there's that principle in effect that if they obeyed the message given to them, God did incredible things. Wow, okay. So it proved reliable. If, if I say to you guys, if I make up something and say, well, if you guys do this, if you just give me your money, then you know what? Next week you're going to get a lot more money. Some people might be willing to try that once, okay? Now, if I'm reliable and sure enough it turns out that there's a lot more money in your pockets next week, you might try me again. You might go, okay, that, well, that really worked. Let's try it again. But if a few of you try and nothing happens... Word will spread very, very quickly. Don't listen to that guy. He, you know, I gave him some money and I didn't get anything back. It wasn't reliable. Can't trust it. But the message declared, it proved to be reliable. Okay, we've got that proved. It was proved. It was tested. God said, do this and I will do this. It happened like that. We can trust it. Okay. But on the negative side, there was also warnings. If you don't do this, bam, you're going to get it. And when you read through, it can be pretty darn depressing reading, reading through the beginning of the Old Testament. I find that. On the one hand, it's so exciting. God does incredible things. But on the other hand, if you disobey, like fire and lightning and, and just death, and, and uh, wow, wow. And that's how the Old Covenant worked very clearly. Obey, incredible blessings. Disobey, look out. And it, it, you can read for yourself, and I'm sure most of you have. As you work through that Old Testament, the Old Covenant, that's how God worked with the people. So again, every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. God said, if you don't obey, this is what's going to happen. And that's exactly what happened. Okay, so we get that thought. Verse 3, how shall we escape... If we neglect such a great salvation. So the author now is trying to bring this principle that you can read about for yourself and that those uh, Jewish Israelite people lived through. He's now bringing it right up to us right now and saying, okay, that's how it worked back then. But now we have something much, much greater. They had Moses. They had those miracles. We have Jesus Christ. Now he's going to continue that process because what he wants to do here is show us how much greater is the information we've been given. How much greater is the salvation that we have been given. So he's trying to say we have a sense of responsibility here. Okay, and that becomes very important for us to grasp this. And he's going to say this responsibility is huge. It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. So I'm going to look at those two first. So the first example, the, the testament of this great salvation, was first given to us by the Lord. And I'm just going to quickly read to you. Don't try to follow me because I'm going to just say them fast, okay? But just from John's gospel, here's some of the things that our Lord said about our great salvation. 
John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Great news. John 4.13.14, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. That sounds great. John 5, 24, I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. That also sounds very, very exciting. John 11, 25, 26, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? John 14, 1-3. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. There's just a handful of promises that our Lord declared concerning the salvation that we, those of us who know him, are all partakers in. Those are phenomenal truths. Those are truths to anchor your heart and your soul in. Those are truths to, to when, when in all of life's ups and downs and the various things that come our way, things unexpected, we can anchor, I can anchor my soul in those truths. Those are beautiful truths. So there's the declaration, first of all, by the Lord. And then he says that the writer goes on to say, it was attested to us by those who heard. And so from that, we get uh, the, the, the written messages of the gospel and then the teachings of first uh, Peter, James, and John, and then uh, Paul, all those who had been with Christ and, and had, or in Paul's case, had a divine revelation of him, they also testified. And I'm going to read just one thing to you from Second Peter. And I love this because what, we're, what the connection we're trying to make here is that we have many, many reasons to believe. We have many, many reasons to trust. And so when Peter wrote in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 to 18, he said, We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We were there. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. So there's another testimony, someone who was with Jesus, and that testimony has gone out into the world. And we, us now living thousands of years later, we also have heard these testimonies. Let's continue. Well, verse 4, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. And it's, I believe, guys, that you and I this morning, we have also partaken of this part. God hasn't stopped to this very day. God is at work amongst his people. And I wonder if we all spent the time this morning to share with each other and say, you know, I prayed for this and, and God answered that way. 
you know, I had this tremendous need in my life, and wow, God came through, and, and this happened. Uh, if we took the time this morning to, to just remind each other, I'll bet we'd have dozens of stories, in, just even in the past year, where God had done remarkable things in our lives. That's, you see, God's still alive today. He's still at work today. These things we're speaking about didn't just happen in the long ago distant past. They did, but they also happen in our lives right now. Okay, and so we see different things at work even in the church today as God bears witness to us about who he is, what he's done, and what he's going to continue to do. Okay, let's continue in verse 5. Now it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. Again, it might, here's a bit of shift in thought, but if we stay with it, we're going to see where the, the, the author is bringing us. And, and what, what, what's coming up here is this. Maybe not so much for us today, although perhaps there was a bit of a fascination back in that time with angels, and suppose, I guess rightly so. But what the author is stressing here is this, the importance of human beings. You might not feel like it this morning. You might, like me, look in the mirror and go, oh boy, here we go again. <laughs> Maybe you don't. I often do that. Um, to just look in the mirror or just to consider my life as I am, it could seem pretty pathetic. There's nothing spectacular. I'm not in the newspapers or on television or I'm not, you know, what everyone's twittering about. And probably you aren't either. However, by faith, by accepting what God tells us, by looking at God's plan for us, we're about to see something very, very different. We're about to see something very, very great. Something really even greater than we might expect. So he's saying, first of all, it wasn't to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. Bear with me here. Let's try and grasp this thought. Okay, he's trying to say people, human beings, and he talks about the world to come. We're now getting into the eternal. He's leaving just the day-to-day -day life where we drink our coffee and where we go to work and we do our chores and we eat our food. That's the day-to-day -day life we all experience. And God's very much a part of that. But now he wants to tell us something about the world to come. And perhaps sitting here this morning on a beautiful morning, that seems very, very far away. It might not even seem real sitting here this morning. But if you haven't experienced it yet, and looking out at the age group here, some of you have already experienced this. I have definitely experienced it over and over. There comes a moment in our lives when eternal becomes very important because there becomes moments in our lives when we see how fragile and short is this. This, this temporal, this physical body, this physical life we live is remarkably short and it is remarkably vulnerable. And so we get moments in our lives when we realize, wow, I, I really need eternity. I really hope for eternity. I, I am just this one little, little being, and I'm surrounded by family and friends, but we're all very, very tiny and in one sense insignificant. The eternal is important. 
It's very important. And there'll be moments in your life when, wow, was it ever important, okay? And, and that's the kind of thought process he wants us to get into here. The world to come. I don't spend all of my time thinking about the world to come. But I want to tell you something. I'm thinking about it more and more and more and more. And I believe, brothers and sisters, if there was ever a time for those of us in North America to think about eternal eternity and to think about the world to come, it is now. So many things in our lives that we have taken for granted, that our parents took for granted, that our great-grandparents took for granted in North America are being shaken. North America, we think about, you know, we think about peace and prosperity. We think about making money. We think about setting aside money for retirement. We think about all the pleasures and things we want to do in our spare time. We spend so much time feeding ourselves right now and, and, and trying to take care of ourselves right now. And I'm not trying to knock all that, but I'm just saying eternity is very, very important. Eternity is forever. Right now, these things that, that we experience, yes, they're, they're real, they're tangible, they happen, but they're very, very, very short. What's coming is far more important. He relates here when he says, of which we are speaking, because in chapter 1, he says this, You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And again, right now, sitting here quietly on a Sunday morning with the beautiful sunshine sparkling off the gorgeous ocean, it might not feel like this is going to come to an end, maybe ever. And we get relaxed, and we enjoy it, and we plan about tomorrow being basically the same as today, and we plan about next week being basically the same as this week. And we plan about next year being the same as this year. And that's a false hope. That's actually a, a, a not a good headspace or heart space for you and I to be in. And so this is what we're getting at here. It has been testified, verse 6, it has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. And this morning, I'm going to just skip back quickly to Psalm chapter 8 and read you the entire psalm, because I think it's going to be important. Psalm 8, verse 1, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the work of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, 
whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And there, 3,000 years ago, roughly, the psalmist, in a, a, a state of wonder, is looking out at the stars and perhaps the sun, maybe the moon, staring up into the heavens. And in his heart, he's going, wow, God, you are really great. And he didn't have Tubble, Hubble, Hubble telescope. He didn't have men actually making it to the moon and Saturn V rocket. Uh, he didn't have any of those things. But just in looking at creation around him, he knew in his heart and his soul, God, you are very, very great. I know that very well by looking around. And in light of your greatness, how is it that you stoop down and look at me? And that's kind of the thought I was looking at earlier. When I look in the mirror, I just see gray hair and wrinkles and, you know, like, man, I can't even run as fast as I could. I'm not as strong as I was. I've had motorcycle accidents and accidents at work that my back hurts and all these things. Like, I'm falling apart, right? And yet, God stoops down. God cares about me. God cares about you. And the psalmist sees that by saying, you know, mankind, we're, we're, we're little and we're very, very fragile. But here's this remarkable thing at work that you've given man this incredible dominion over the kingdom of this world. And, and, and we do see that. How is it that little tiny people get to, you know, um, get cows to obey them or get, you know, like, like I'm going to share it with you guys, a little example I saw when I was like 12 years old and it's stuck in my mind my, the rest of my life. There was a, a farm in Ontario that my parents had a little cottage cl quite close to and for decades they knew the family and we would spend some of our summers there. And I remember as a city kid being just in awe one day when um, the, the farmer's son, John, who was just a year older than me, was told to get the cows in from one pasture and bring them in. Well, he goes out, and I'm a city kid, and I look at this cow, and it's the size of a minivan. Well, how in the world is a boy going to get this cow to obey him and do what he wants it to do, right? How can you do that? I'm just terrified being anywhere near this cow. I mean, never mind a bull. Well, what does the, you know, roughly 12-year-old farm boy do? He's not intimidated. Yeah, the cow's the same size compared to him, but he's a farm boy. He gets this kind of stuff. He just grabs a stick, goes up to the thing, and just starts whacking it. Whack, whack, whack. And guess what? The cow obeys him. If I went up to the cow, and I know because I tried this, hey, cow, do this. The cow just looks at me like, are you stupid? Like, literally, the cow ignores me. I could talk to it all day, and it won't do what I want. But the farm boy, he knows how it works. He takes a stick, beats that thing, and the one gets going, goes him, beats it, it gets going, and in five minutes, he has all the cows exactly where he wanted them to be. And, and I think that principle's at, in effect here. He's saying, you know, mankind, though we're, we're little and insignificant, yet, yet you've given us dominion over all these animals and, and, and over the, the, even the fishes of the sea. Mankind, there's this remarkable thing in effect. You ever stop and consider that? Just me, and yet as a human being, and human beings in general, we do have dominion over the planet. We have scientists today telling us we have too much dominion. We're causing lots of problems. We're affecting too many things. Because of science and technology and, and man's ambitions, we're causing lots of problems today. People, some people might say we have too much effect over the natural world. All right, but again, there's that wonder. 
Now, in Hebrews, I'm going back to Hebrews, he wants us to consider another principle even beyond that. God's greatness, yes. God giving, stooping down, loving mankind, blessing mankind. God giving human beings this remarkable dominion in the created world. But now something a lot more important. And, and I hope if we can see this this morning, something vastly more important. He continues through verse 8 there saying, Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. Nothing outside his control. Okay, well, what's he talking about here? Now he says, At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. And would you agree that that's true? Even though mankind has remarkable uh, authority and does amazing things in this world, if you listen to the news, you also realize we got an awful lot of stuff getting out of control here. Many, many scientists are trying to blame humans for global warming and, and, and you know, and, and we just have to look at things like, like wars and every time mankind comes up with a technology that's supposed to help us and bless us, it kind of turns around and, and has a nasty bite on the other side, doesn't it? Let's invent atomic energy because atomic energy will be clean and we can power our homes and do everything we want and here's this endless resource that's almost free. Well, then you have problems with atomic energy causing all sorts of terrible pollution and when there's an accident, we have terrible deaths. Everything mankind touches and does, we don't have complete control. We don't. And yet this man says, at present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Verse 9, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. And in a way, everything I've been talking about this morning is kind of a build-up to this verse. Looking back in the past of things that God has done, looking back at the salvation that God has planned for us and has spoken about and has declared to us, considering those things, here we have Jesus. And here we have a fulfillment of that psalm where everything was subjected to a man, and that is the man, Christ Jesus. But isn't it amazing how God brought that about? God brought that about not through a great human king, not through the most wealthy man on the planet, not through the most powerful man on the planet. God brought that about through his son, who for a little while was made lower than the angels. Think of the story of where he was born. You guys, every Christmas we celebrate that, that beautiful story where Joseph and Mary, not yet wed, and yet God, by the Holy Spirit, comes over Mary, who's just this very insignificant young girl living in Nazareth, and by God's divine power, God becomes flesh and into this insignificant nation under the yoke of the Roman Empire, God is made flesh. He's declared to, first of all, to whom? Shepherds, the lowest of people. The, the people most humble, most looked down upon 
in almost any culture around the world, shepherds, angels come to them and declare that Messiah is born. And you're going to find him wrapped in strips of cloth, lying in a feeding trough. God's ways are so different than our ways, but it's very important for us to grasp this. It is really good for us to lay hold of this and to hang on to this. And the writer will continue to just explain why this is so important. So we see him, that's Jesus, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor. And right now, at this moment, I believe by faith, and I trust that you also, by faith, at this moment, there is angelic choirs singing incredible praises. There is such shouting and glory and exaltation taking place at this moment, right now, while we are quietly sitting here, just being people in Gibsons. This is going on at this moment. And there are beings that are so superior to you and I, worshiping this same Jesus. Right now there's hallelujah for the Lord our God reigns. Praise be to the Lamb of God. That's happening right now. And though we are so used to it that we don't see it, the heavens are declaring the glory of God right now. And as I look around at nature, as I see the mountains and I see the ocean, it's all of it telling me, the hand that made me is divine. There is a great God in heaven. There is a Savior in heaven right now. And he is divine and he is being worshipped and adored by countless millions of beings. And one day, we too will be there. Once again, though, the thought, he stoops lower than the angels. Jesus came from glory. His home was in glory, yet he left the glory to come here to take on a body that would get sweaty, that a body that has to eat food, a body that has to go to the bathroom, a body that lives in a world where there is sickness and death, in, in, to a body that lives in a world where there's cruelty and humiliation. And in a world where we look around and go, that's not right. That's not right. Why is that happening? Why did that happen to them? Why does that happen to me? God comes to this world. He takes on flesh and blood. He stoops much lower than the angels. Start to think of the wonder of this. The creator of the universe enters this creation and knows what it's like to go through the humdrum, the, the difficulty, the hard times, the laughter, the joy, all the things. He becomes one with the creation. Because, uh, sorry, here, I'm going to start again at verse 9. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. There was a purpose. There was a reason. There was a plan that this all happened. It didn't happen by chance. 
It wasn't just an accident that Jesus was born to Mary. It wasn't just an accident that his father was Joseph and that lineage can be traced right down from Abraham, right from Adam, right on through. That's no accident. There's a plan. There's a purpose. There's a reason for it. He was born on purpose to this lowly nation of Israel underneath the Roman yoke. He was born to that family for a reason. He was born to that tribe for a reason. It's all part of God's plan, God working things out. And he did it this way on purpose. It all had to happen. These things had to happen. And what we need to get from this is our lives need to happen the way they happen. Things happen in our lives and we go, why did this happen to me? Why am I going through this? Why can't I have his life? I like that one a lot better. We don't get to say that. And now we're going to get told a really, really, really amazing truth, okay? I hope I am stretching your minds a bit this morning. I hope I'm not boring you to death. And I hope that, that you're, we're going to see some things here this morning that will help us when we're going through really hard times or what will help us when it feels like the world is just bombarding us, when the weight of this world and the weight of the things this world wants to press on us just feel like they're crushing us. We have something to turn to. We have someone to turn to who has experienced all of that and there's a reason why. Verse 10, for it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist, and in case you have any thought in your mind, well, who's he talking about now? Well, it's God, okay? We exist this morning. We're here this morning. I am here with you this morning. We are breathing this morning. Our planet is spinning on its axis of 23 and a half degrees in an elliptical course around a medium-sized star in a medium-sized galaxy amongst billions of galaxies. All of that is for a reason. And it was God's great pleasure to set it up that way and make it work that way. We're only alive physically because God is holding it all together and because he planned it and designed it and he knows all that, brought it all together and he knows about us. He knows about you and me and the hard day at work and the kids who aren't listening and the parents who are so mad, just parents and all of the things that go on. He knows all that but he also upholds and sustains all things. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing, bringing many sons to glory, and as we know that means daughters as well, daughters and sons, in bringing us to glory, let's not forget the focus. The actual point of this is glory. That's what we're actually talking about this morning is glory. All this other stuff is leading up to glory. In bringing us to glory, it was fitting. The founder of their salvation, sorry, should, should make the founder of their, their salvation perfect through suffering. What? That, what? that can't be right. Come on. No, no, there's got to be a different way, right? You know, we, we live in Canada. 
and you got to be born into just a middle class home and have awesome middle class parents who have awesome jobs who just give you awesome money as you're growing up and give you an awesome education and then you get an awesome job and you get to buy your first awesome car and you meet your awesome wife or husband and we just oh man and your hockey team wins the Stanley Cup and everything's just awesome it's just so great and I just so glad I'm alive you know um, it doesn't always work like that right and that's actually not God's way God's way is very different than that. God saw fit that the author of our salvation, that the one who is bringing us to glory, the only reason we have any thought or hope of glory at all, should suffer. And that he's going to be made perfect through suffering. What a strange thing to say. Perfect through suffering? I thought Jesus was perfect. We know he never sinned, amen. We know he never did anything wrong. He obeyed his parents. He was a perfect little boy. He lived his life. He grew in favor with God and with men. Everything. He never told lies. He never did anything wrong. What does it mean being made perfect? There still wasn't the fullness yet. You see, God had existed for eternity outside of creation. But now God enters creation. God becomes part of this physical, material world. And in God's mind, which is the only mind that counts, in God's mind, it was right for Emmanuel, God with us, to actually suffer. As I think about Jesus' last days on earth and last hours on earth more and more, I'm just taken by his servanthood. You know, he's with those disciples in that upper room just hours before he's about to be crucified for them and they don't get it and they don't know what's going on and he celebrates the Passover meal and he gets down, wraps a towel around his waist and he washes those stinky feet I wouldn't want to do that. And I also have stinky feet and I'm just a man like them. And they might be my really, really good friends, but I most certainly don't want to get down and wash their stinky feet. He actually got down and washed their stinky feet. The Prince of Glory, whom millions of angels adore, the creator of the universe, the one that holds the galaxies together and keeps our planet just the way it's supposed to be at all time, who holds the molecules together, our existence, our reason for existing, all held by him, and he gets down and washes stinky feet. And then he goes to the cross alone for them and for us. God is very different than you and me, isn't he? Thank God he's different than you and me. God's plan is infinitely bigger. He's planned this out. He knows where we are at. Not just shiny and cleanly dressed on a Sunday morning, but all of the other things we go through too. All of our mistakes, all of our sins, all of our shortcomings, the bad things that happen to us the unfair things that happen to us. He knows all about that too. In fact, not only does he know about it, he shows us the best way and he went through the hardest things to show us, to demonstrate for us 
And as we're going to see in a moment, better than that, to tell us that what's coming, all this is worth it. This is just a blink. All, if you are going through a hard time right now, I don't know what's going on in all of your lives. But either you are now, or you have just recently, or you will in the future, go through hard times. God knows. God knows. God has experienced. God has been there. And better than me, and better than you, he did it with beautiful humility. He did it with beautiful submission. He did it as a servant. He did it willingly. He did it in love. He did it because he loves you and he loves me. He did it knowing. He did it for us. So in God's way, it was fitting that he, Jesus, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, that's our hope, glory. He's bringing us to glory. But that he should make the founder, founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. It's just God's way. It's how he is. It shows his incredible fullness. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what you're going through. It does not matter. He's been there. He's been through it. He knows, he knows, and he loves us, and he's bringing you and me to glory. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified, sanctified all have one source. So Jesus is the one that sanctifies us. He's the one that makes us holy. We, by faith, those of us in the, in the evangelical church, we say, yeah, once by faith, you believe in the name of Jesus Christ and you will be saved. God cancels the written code. He's, Jesus is paid by his blood for our sins. And that's all true. Amen. But we also need to be sanctified. As we're living out our lives, we sin every day. We blow it every day. We doubt every day. We say things we shouldn't say every day. But we are being sanctified. We're being made holy. And so that's us. But not only that, so he who sanctifies, that's Jesus, he's doing it. He's done the work, but he's continually doing the work. And those who are sanctified all have one source. The NIV says we're from the same family. And I don't know about you, but my mind reels at that. My mind goes, how can that be? Because I know what I'm like. And you might be thinking in your minds, you don't know what I'm like. And it's true, I don't know you, although I probably know more about you than you think, just because I'm also just like you. And I know how often I fail. I know if I am honest with myself, how far short of God's glory I am on myself. I wouldn't want any of you to know all the thoughts and actions that go through this guy every day, and I'm pretty sure, in fact, I'm very confident that no one in this room would like everyone else to know all of the thoughts and the actions that went through your heart and your mind today or yesterday or this past week. Why? Because we know what we're like. We know how short we fall. And yet, we're from the same family, this perfect Jesus from heaven, and humble us we're from the same family. 
We're united with Christ. We're, we're, we're put on the same plane with this Jesus Christ. We're, we're, we're of this family. This is remarkable. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And it's very interesting to go back into that and look at the psalm where that's from. Um, it, it's actually this, the, the one psalm there talking about the suffering of God's servant and all the terrible things coming up to the cross that Jesus went through. Remarkable. Talking about the casting of lots, talking about people mocking him. Remarkable, remarkable prophecy about the Lord Jesus Christ and what was to happen to him. But in, in the midst of that psalm comes this thing, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And you know, at one level, that will be us talking about the Lord together as his brothers and sisters. That will be us declaring his praises in heaven. And you know, in another way, that's also going to be him saying about us. These are my brothers and sisters. They believed on me. They accepted the testimony. They believed. And so we're put in this remarkable place of being brothers and sisters and co-heirs with Christ. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. We this morning, those of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ, those of us who have been washed in the blood of the Lamb, who are in fact staking our hope, staking our, 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 our future on the grace and power of God and the accomplished work of Christ, we're God's children and he knows how to take care of us. Verse 14, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. You see, guys, God's love, it was even, we're told, even before the creation of the world, God had this plan. Before Adam and Eve even fell, before the world turned dark with sin and all of the murders and wickedness and cruelty that has been human history began, God's plan was to bring us to this salvation, to share with Jesus Christ. And so he became just like us. He himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. I want to just address that one moment, something very, very personal. And I'm so grateful that I can share this with you this morning. Um, my dad, uh, Pastor Bev Ward, who passed away last September at 89, um, I was with him in, in just those last moments of his life. And I'm very grateful for that. Um, it was a fantastic experience. I thank God that I was there. Um, I thank God that I got to spend quite a bit of time with my dad in the last year of his life. And there was a point there where we were beginning to wonder, is he ever going to die? Because it's like he was told he's going to die, and he just kept going and going. And then, oh, no, he's really going to die. No, he just kept going and going and going. And I thought, wow, is he ever going to actually go? That might sound really strange coming from his son, but believe me, we just thought, wow, he's not actually going yet. But yes, the time came, the exact time, the exact moment appointed by his Heavenly Father came for him to go. And again, I don't know where any of you are, 
this morning in your life. I don't know if you have a loved one near death or a loved one who has just passed away. I don't know who of you or myself will even be alive tomorrow, okay? So I, I can't speak from that position. But I do know it touches every one of us. It touches every one of us. And to be in that hospital room with my dad, talking to him quietly as the breathing gets heavier and heavier and it sounds raspy and it doesn't sound nice, and you, you just know there's only moments left. You know, I've never, that's my first deathbed, bedside experience. And yet I, you knew this can only last a little while longer. The physical body is just given up. It's just doing that functioning, functioning, functioning. He wasn't awake anymore, couldn't respond anymore. But you know, it's just so close. But to be with my dad and to just say to him quietly, Dad, I love you. Jesus loves you. Jesus is waiting for you. Dad, you're going to go from this room and this old body, and you're going to be with your Lord just like that. He's waiting for you. It's right there. He's right there. One step, boom from here, boom to there. I can share that with you this morning. I have, I have complete confidence that my dad is with his Lord and Savior right now and that he is with him in glory right now. Can you put a price on that? I can't put a price on that. When you're in that moment, offer me $10 billion. Offer me $18 trillion. It's not worth nothing. To have the confidence that you step from here to be at Jesus' side, that he's gone ahead to prepare a place for you, that he knows the way that he's made the way, that nothing can snatch you from his hand. Think about what you have. Think about what I have. We have that. We have that incredible confidence. We have that incredible hope. And all we do is believe. We believe. We trust. We say, yes, Lord, I take you at your word. I believe that Jesus conquered death. I believe that he overcame the grave. I believe that right now at this moment, he is at the right hand of the Father, interceding for me, interceding for you. We have a perfect Savior. He knew before it all began what we were like. He knew all our failures. He knew all our weaknesses. He knew our unbelief. He still came. He still did it. And he triumphed. He triumphed. And so in that moment, in that time, I'll tell you what an incredible assurance to know that Jesus is in control, that Jesus has conquered death. We don't have to be afraid anymore. You don't have to be afraid. I, I do thank God of the, the gifts given to me since I was born again at about the age of 16. I, I'm so thankful that he took the fear of death from me. It's very interesting, but growing up in a Christian home with Christian parents, I was terrified of dying before I became a Christian. I knew in my own heart I wasn't right with God. I was literally, some nights I'd be awake just oh, frightened, afraid of dying. The moment I was born again, the moment I knew that Jesus' blood covered my sins, that fear is gone. It's gone. I'm not afraid anymore. 
I don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. God knows. He knows how to deal with us. He knows how to rescue us. Verse 16, For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. I just want to take one moment on that verse. Sometimes Christians think about this. Not very often, but sometimes we think about it. Along with Satan, there was a whole host of angels who fell away from God. And we're given no verses or scriptures to say that those who fell away from God had any hope or chance of rescue. We're not given any. There's no verses about that. When they defied their creator, when they left him willingly, that was it. Over. They have only eternity to face separated from God, their creator. And they've become the most hideous beings in the universe. That's not where we're left. God became human. He became just like us to experience for us, to die for us, to rise again for us. This is a very lofty thought. He didn't become an angel. He became a man. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. There's a big word. I don't use propitiation ever, except when it's in front of me reading from the Bible right here. It's a great big word meaning this, that, and it, there is real depth to it. This is not a five-cent word. When mankind fell, when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, God's love for mankind was so great, the beings that he created in his own image, that he wanted to reconcile them back to himself. But how does a God who is justice and who also is love, how does he bring the two together? Because God is holy. He is righteous. He is perfect. He is the creator. He is the sustainer. He is outside of creation. He exists there. How does he get right with us? This was how. Through his son. And Jesus becomes that link. Jesus becomes the one. The only one. The only one who ever could because he himself is God made flesh. Emmanuel. God with us. He himself takes on flesh and blood. Lives the life. Gives his life. Willingly says, no one takes it from me. I give it up willingly. He loves you that much. He loves me that much. As I consider this, do you know, brothers and sisters, I don't hardly understand God's love at all. I feel so often like a, a little two-year-old child that says, mommy, I love you or whatever, and then you... How much does the little the two-year-old really get love? They, they, they get it by gimme, gimme, gimme. <laughs> feed me, feed me, feed me. Give me what I want. And they do love their parents. Thank God they do, and we do love God, but they don't really get it. It's really not until you experience adulthood and being a parent and being married and all that you start to understand how great is love. And this love is very, very great. 
For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. That thought should just thrill us. And you know what gives me hope lots of times when I'm going through a rough time? Temptation isn't always the same, and it doesn't act at the same level all the times. I don't know about you guys, but for me, it just seems like some days are a lot harder than other days. Some weeks are a lot harder than other weeks. Some months are a lot harder than other months. Some years are a lot harder than other years. But within that, we have at the right hand of the Father one who has gone through everything. He himself has suffered. He himself was tempted. And he overcame. And he's able to help us. And he is there to help us. He's there when we need him most. He's there every moment, every hour, every day, every week, every year. He is steadfast and faithful. To sum up this morning, I would like to just remind us, I'm going to highlight a couple of things. You and I, we need to pay much closer attention. I I hope that this morning, in this long, convoluted message, that you can see that you and I need to pay much closer attention. And that we need to also not neglect this great salvation. I honestly have not even come close to doing justice to what we're being taught here. But it is God's truth. It is God's word. He has done all of that for you and for me. And unlike those people in the Old Testament who when they got the message from God and God says, do this or else, that's not how he's dealing with us. But we have another problem, and that is that we can not really pay attention. And we can neglect. And we can get lazy. And we can take for granted. And we can forget And I can be much more interested in the hockey game than in eternity. And I can be way more interested in what I'm about to eat than in the fact that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father interceding. Living on the Sunshine Coast, living in Canada, we are are so spoiled. We're, We're big, fat babies. We have too much stuff. We have too many things that take our attention. And then the really, really, really sad thing is it's not enough. So you have young people committing suicide because they have no hope. They have all of this, the richest people that have ever lived in world's history, and it's not enough. I'm going to take my own life. We have everything. You this morning, you have everything. There's nothing that God could do for you more than he's done now. There's nothing more that he could do for me than he's already done. There's nothing more. It's the greatest gift. It's the greatest high priest. It's the greatest sacrifice. 
It's God made flesh. He loves you so much. He loves me so much. He didn't even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. And that son interceding for us, that son right now praying for us. Let's just close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. And Father, I thank you that your truth is much greater than I've been able to express it this morning. I thank you that your ways are much greater and much higher than our ways. And Father, I thank you that you love us much better than I have expressed this morning. Father, I pray for myself, I pray for my brothers and sisters here this morning, that you would help us lay hold of these things, that you would encourage us and, and help us in our weaknesses, help us in our forgetfulness. May we take this challenge this morning and take it to heart, Father. And may we encourage each other and build each other up. Lord, I know that that's happening here because there's all these people here this morning. And Lord, they're here because they do love you. And they're here because they do love the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're here because they're hungry in their hearts to hear your truth. They're here because of the hope given to us and held out for us in the gospel. So, Father, I ask your blessing on each one here this morning, Lord. May we receive your truth by faith. May we lay hold of it by faith. And, Father, help us to grow up. Help us to see more. Help us to trust more. Help us to love more. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.